Welcome into TFW Live. It's the best kept secret in fantasy football where we keep that week one feeling going all year long. I am Big Travi and I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Austin. Now, normally we'd be joined by my other best friend, Johnny, but he became a dad on Tuesday. Shout out to our boy, Johnny. He is now a dad. Juniper Joy Hicks was born a healthy baby girl. So, Johnny, we miss you and shout out to her. But shout out to Whisper Nation and all of you in the chat. All of you that are Jade as well. Mama's healthy as well. Yeah, exactly. And all of you uh, that will be joining us later as well. Um, and we want to shout out the latest members of Whisper Nation really quick who subscribed and follow us on social media. St. Patrick FF, StatWiz, Andrew Griffin, NFL Outdated, Chris Taylor, Neil Anthony, Jacob Wayne, and Kaika Gonzalez. If you love fantasy football, you want to join a community where you know you belong, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. We're trying to get just one more subscriber on this screen, on this stream. Just one more. Could be you. Could be you, Dwayne, who is our very special guest, Dwayne McFarland from Pro Football Focus. You can get his work over at PFF.com. We've got links in the description. And follow him on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland. Dwayne, how are you doing, man? Man, I'm good. I'll for sure at least be the one more. Like, let's shoot for two. Like, there we go. I'll hey, be the one. Right. Over you know how it's like once somebody says they'll donate, donate who's going to match. So I, oh, I'm yeah. in, like, who's going to match me? There we go. We appreciate who's gonna it, Dwayne. Dwayne. Who's going to be like Dwayne? Be the best Dwayne you can be <laughs> and subscribe to the Fancy Whispers tonight. So, no, we appreciate it all. Um, we're excited to have you on the show, man. We've been, I've been consuming a ton of your work. I've been passing along to the guys over here. Um, and I know you've been doing this for a long time, but it's like you've been coming into my radar a lot recently, and I just love what you've got going on over there. So I'm excited to chop it up with you. But I want to let Whisper Nation get to know you a little bit here. So we've got some rapid-fire questions. If you don't mind, we'll, we'll run through them. Do you root? Oh, that's good. Okay. Do you root for your NFL team or your fantasy team more? Um, I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, but let's be honest. If we're down to the end of the season, especially if you're like in a big money league or you're chasing, you know, like uh, a big championship, like man, it's your fantasy football team. And I love both, but yeah, it's I can control my fantasy team much more than I can control the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Jerry Jones could probably control his fantasy team more than he can control the <laughs> Cowboys. But <laughs> that is his fantasy team. Yeah, right? fair That's enough. The beauty of being a billionaire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what year did you start playing fantasy football? Uh, started playing fantasy football in 1999. Okay. Two, nine, yeah, 99. Favorite fantasy football player of all time? Oh, Ladanian Tomlinson. Yeah. That's a good one. LT. Least favorite? Uh, my least favorite, I've never had this player on my roster, but they cost me 220 grand. Um, it was Nick Foles. He overthrew Zach Ertz. I only needed one more reception from Zach Ertz over at the FFPC football guys players championship in 2018 on a Monday night football game against the Raiders. And, and he missed him on like four different no. passes. One of them was no. like five, one of them was five yards away from Zach Ertz in the flat and Nick Foles couldn't get it done. So I won 30 grand instead of 250. Oh my God. 30 grand is amazing. Yeah. But the difference in that one, holy cow. Oh, ah! so, yeah. yeah. That was, that I'm was sorry a, we had hey, to but that's what we do it for the sweat, I guess. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. what, that's what you say anyway, after you lose like that, that's what you right. tell yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is your, what's been your favorite fantasy football team name? Um, well, I am a huge fan of the movie Tombstone, so I like to use those a lot. So my favorite is, you know, Say When, probably, you know, where Doc Holliday, you know, is basically daring, you know, Ringo. He's like, say when, like whenever. 
So that's my favorite, but I use all sorts of different uh, ones from Tombstone. I don't do as clever, like I see some really clever ones like in the lobbies that I play in. I'm not as creative or uh, I guess, you know, as much of a comedian as some people. I've seen some really good ones over the years, but I just kind of stick with some of the things that I know. Something that kind of gets you in the zone, right? That's what you're trying to feel. You're like, hey, I want to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to be that. Yeah, exactly. Shout out Arizona, Tombstone from Arizona. Here we go. What is the sound or noise you love? You know, man, I love, well, there's two favorites, but number one is like just being by the beach, you know, hearing the beach coming in, just that relaxing feel, you know, especially if you got, you know, like a beer going, just chilling, hanging out with the family. Uh, we're doing a vacation here in a couple of weeks, so we'll be getting to do that. But my other favorite is just like, if you wake up in the morning, like kind of right as the sun's coming up you go out, we kind of live out in the country. So like just nature, man, just mm. the simplicity of, you know, all this stuff going on, you know, that's just taking care of itself. Like, and we're worried about all these trivial things, you know, and important things in our lives, but you know, we can get worked up about really uh, trivial kind of things, even this game, like that we all love to play. And I'm sure you guys, I get serious about it. You probably get serious about it, but at the end of the day, just kind of always like resets me, balances me, gets me ready for the day and just uh, make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm just keeping everything um, in perspective really is what I'm trying to do. I love that answer. The sound of nature is the sound of process happening. It's just, wow. Serene. I love that. Love it. Favorite swear word? Um, it's probably the F-bomb. I don't know why. <laughs> it shouldn't be. That's three for three. It's, it's undefeated. Every guest is. It really is. Yeah. You yeah know, I mean, it's it's, just, it, it sticks. It's a good one. Uh, what are the most leagues you've played in at one time? Uh, I've played in upwards of 60 managed leagues before, you know, um, that, that was, uh, that was real fun. Um, <laughs> waiver wires are, uh, pretty to- tough. I try to, I try to keep it to two to three dynasty leagues now. And I get invited to more and I feel bad because I've been saying no lately just because I'm like, man, I just I got to get this thing down to where like I can just truly enjoy it because I'll usually play 12 to 18 like mid to high stakes teams and redraft. I like having two or three dynasty and I like leaving some room to still be able to pay attention to DFS. If I get too much past that, like it's if I get past that mix it's too much, I'm fine throwing best ball, best ball on because, you know, you can draft them and you're done. Like that's yeah. the beauty of best ball. It's like you once the draft's over, you don't have to worry about it. You can just check in on them and the rest is history. Love it. Well, we've talked about your most painful moment in fantasy football. What's your favorite moment? Uh, my most exciting moment in fantasy football. So um, uh, before that FFPC loss, you know, I got to go to um, Vegas for the FFOC. So it's it's now defunct, but it was called the Fantasy Football Open Championship back in the day. And it was really cool. So the top 12 players, it's kind of like best ball is today. You had a 12 week season, week 13, 14 and 15 or week 13 and 14 were the cut downs. And then week 15, the final 15 players got to go to Vegas. And so me and my buddy, uh, uh, Daniel, we had bought a bunch. He he buys a lot of teams with me every year. We split a lot of them, and so we got to go out to Vegas. We got to meet Jerry Rice. We got, and dude, he was so cool. We got to hang out with him. So my favorite moment that came from fantasy football is I was out in Vegas. I got a buddy back here in Dallas that's super super serious about um, playing flag football, and like his team's really good four on four flag football. And so I was telling Jerry Rice this story. And I was like, hey, man, I'm going to call him. Will you prank call him? You know, and he's and Jerry Rice agreed to do this. So we call my buddy up and I tell him, I'm like, hey, man, I'm sitting here in Vegas. I know y'all's team is full, but I got this guy. He says he can play. He's being really cool with me. I didn't just want to 
completely be like, no, I'm not going to call my buddy and see if you can join the team. I said, so I'll let you talk to him. Like, you don't, don't feel like you have to do anything, but just be cool to him, you know? And Jerry Rice is sitting there listening to this whole thing. So I just hand him my phone. He starts talking to him and he's just carrying my buddy on for like five minutes. And he gets later in the conversation. Like, it's like my buddy's like taking him through credentials, like what he's done in his career. And he's <laughs> it so cool. And, and, you know, Jerry Rice is kind of keeping him on the hook. And then he's like, but I don't know, man, Lee's like, you know, sometimes I get flashbacks, you know, and he puts it on speaker and I can hear my buddy like flashbacks from what? And he's like, you know, honest in the league, you know, just getting rocked by all those linebackers and this and that. And he's just going on. And then I hear my buddy's like, who am I talking to? And Jerry Rice. <laughs> also, I guess F word is his favorite. And I don't, can we swear on the show? Can I get <laughs> yeah, answer? Absolutely. Okay. And so he goes, he goes, Lee, this is Jerry motherfucking Rice. Oh, that was a pretty cool fantasy football story. Yes. What? That is amazing. I just love the part when your buddy's like hustling him for his resume. Like, well, why do you think he'd be a good, why do you think he'd be good for our, our, the the flag football team? What's your 40 time? You know, (laughs) and Rice could totally be like, well, it was a four, six, but it never mattered. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I played a small school, you know, I was overlooked, but you know, I did a couple of things and I'm pretty proud with my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Masonry. Yeah. (laughs) He was so cool about it though. And just so, uh, humble down to earth. Like he interacted with everybody, but it was really cool. We got to spend a lot of time just hanging out with him. Um, and, and he didn't treat it like he was there just because he was being paid. Like he really did hang out with everybody. So I thought, I thought that was pretty cool of him to do. Go That's on cool and off the field. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. The humility. And then to go Jerry motherfucking rice is the, <laughs> That's the icing yeah. on the cake. Still got the swag though. When you need it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, favorite game day beverage, Dwayne. Um, man, I'm just, I'm simple with that stuff. I usually just go with a brew. Um, so, I mean, I'll switch it around like right now it's, uh, like summertime into the early part of the season. I'll do like Dos Equis, Modelo, you know, little salt and lime. And then it. as it starts to, then as I start to get more in the fall, I'll usually switch over to something easy, like Miller light, something, you know, something really boring that nobody wants to hear about. So, uh, boneless or bone in for your wings bone in yeah, bone in guy. Yeah. And then kickoff, it's two minutes away. You're still deciding your flex. Are you going to go with your gut or your weekly rankings? You're going to look at the spreadsheets. I'm going with the spreadsheets, man. I'm going with the ranking. I put too much damn work in it (laughs) to eliminate my gut ruining stuff. (laughs) Love Love it. Love it. So we try to end this section. Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to give a shout out here to Z who said he'd been following you since he was below 5,000 followers. Dwayne, utilization charts changed the game. On cool. This one. So yeah. I got a fan oh, I think, oh yeah. What's up? He, I yeah, know Z. He works yeah. over he's at awesome. uh, football guys too. So he's definitely grinding his, himself. We love Z. So we try to end this with like a tailored question for our guest. Uh, we've I've been noticing that uh, Ian calls you Dwayne the Rock McFarland in every intro for the PFF podcast. So it got me thinking of an interesting keep trade cut scenario here, Dwayne. I'll pitch it to Austin first, and then let you come in after Chris Rock, the Rock. And Kid Rock, we got to keep trade cut. I'm keeping Chris Rock trading, trading the Rock for the value, and I'm cutting Kid Rock. Oh man, I was this exact same, exact same, and for the same reasons. Like the Rock, man, like the value you're gonna get. And I don't know how I got the, you know, the Rock, just other than his Dwayne <laughs> just Johnson. Dwayne, just like, yeah, it's yeah, like I mean, different you guys Dwayne's, can see dude. like my traps are really huge. <laughs> <laughs> because you just look right just like him exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) well we appreciate it Dwayne. and before we get into the show we want to take a quick break and let people know about something coming up in july mock draft marathon what is this 
It's consecutive mock drafts for a total of 24 hours. Requires hours and even years of preparation. Which is a little bit controversial, but... Are you shitting me, Johnny? I didn't plan that, I swear. I can pretty much say 100%. Something that you really love to do. Let the games begin. Somebody came in and stole Johnny and they're hijacking his draft. Oh, he's gonna blame it on his 78-year-old neighbor. Damn it, you guys stuck in a super flex? I knew it. Ball is gonna taste different than this meatball. That's not that bad from a flex. Outliers decide fantasy Stand out above the crowd. About the same set of 200 players, and it never gets old. That's right, July 23rd and 24th. Make sure you're subscribed to the Fantasy Whispers. We're going to be getting the best in the industry again for the fourth annual Mock Draft Marathon. We're pumped for that one. All right, we'll get into some of the news and notes, guys. And the first one on the list here is Michael Thomas speaking at OTA, Saints coach. Dennis Allen said that wide receiver Michael Thomas is doubtful to participate in next week's minicamp. So I'll kick it to you here, Dwayne. I wanted to ask because we did, we've, it's now been like conflicting reports back and forth. We, we thought he was coming back. He should be back by now. Where are you at like panic meter wise on Michael Thomas this year? Uh, I'll really be panicked if he's not back, like, you know, for training camp. I, I'm not really worried about, you know, OTAs, minicamp. Um, I mean, obviously we would like him to be back here, but I think the value is softening like enough on Michael Thomas with ADP falling into the seventh round over at FFPC, um, you know, events right now, like a round of six or a seven over on underdog. So I'm still fine, you know, taking Michael Thomas in that range, just because we know he's a 30%, you know, 28, 30% target share guy. He's done that historically. Not very many players can do that. Right. Um, so Given that, I'm willing to still give him a little bit of a pass. But if we get to training camp, still lingering on, we're into, you know, mid-August. Um, at that point, like, I'll probably just stop drafting him. But my my concern is, like, if I don't draft him now and he does start practicing, like, as soon as he does, his ADP is going to shoot up, like, two rounds just because of the name value alone. So I'd rather go ahead and draft him now because once that happens, I'm, I'm probably not going to be as in. That makes sense. Try and get your value now where you can. Uh, moving on, we'll talk Jamison Williams of the Detroit Lions. His head coach, Dan Campbell, told reporters he doesn't see Jamison Williams being ready for training camp as he rehabs that ACL. Austin, kind of a similar question. Um, obviously not as maybe as much panic. Well, this is not something we expected him to be ready for anyways. How are you feeling about in redraft for Jamison this year? <laughs> Redraft wise, I'm happy to pick him up if the value is right, as is the case with any fantasy football player. I did want to just take a point, though, to point out on Dan Campbell's lines, coach speak, right? You just showed the preview for the mock draft marathon. Hugh Jackson, I thought, gave a great breakdown on coach speak when we had him on in last year's marathon. And what he said was coach speak always has an ulterior motive. It doesn't mean you're hearing the truth or a lie. It just means they don't care about telling the truth or a lie. There is another reason why the head coach or the person at the microphone is going to be speaking what they're speaking. Maybe it's to motivate a player on their team. Maybe it's to throw off the defense. Maybe it's just to set the tone in their own locker room. There's a lot of different reasons why they might be doing it. When I see Dan Campbell say that he doesn't see wide receiver Jamison Williams being ready, I see him not putting undue pressure on the player and the offense. It's like, why would you need to get anybody else excited? This was a bottom level team last year that we're all expecting to come on up, but why set those expectations higher under promise over deliver? I think that's a good way to look at Jamison too. Um, we move on here to the Los Angeles Rams talking Matthew Stafford. Uh, Sarah Barship of ESPN said that Matthew Stafford will definitely be ready to throw during training camp. 
Uh, Dwayne, Matt Waldman, actually, who was the only analyst I've heard this offseason to kind of bring some concern to the to the procedure that has happened to Matt Stafford. Are you concerned? Like, do you see this as something because he's, he's obviously played through a ton of injuries in his career? Does this kind of downgrade any weapons and, and Matt Stafford himself for you? Um, it's not for me yet. And I mean, obviously I respect, you know, what Waldman has to say. Um, but I'm not at the point where it's bothering me. Um, again, kind of like what I said with Michael Thomas, I'm, I'm still more in a wait and see kind of mode right now. And I, that's typically my answer on a lot of the players, you know, yeah. for, for, uh, OTAs and minicamp right. unless to your point, like it's something we really just weren't expecting. Like Michael Thomas, we weren't for sure. Jamison Williams, we didn't expect him to be doing this. You know, Matthew Stafford is just really coming more to light because a lot of people just didn't pay attention, you know, to what mm. was going on with them so i guess we could call that you know as being a little bit different but it was something that you know i had kind of already been monitoring i think some people are kind of you know worried about it because they hadn't even thought about the fact that stafford had had shoulder surgery so um i mean i feel fine all right moving on to another quarterback here with maybe some concern clouding him a little bit ravens head coach john harbaugh said he expects lamar jackson to report to mandatory mandatory minicamp next week um, so the Lamar Jackson saga continues with his contract. Is there any concern or you think will be good here, Austin, rolling into the season for Lamar? He probably gets this, that long-term deal. This makes me think if we're not overreacting in the offseason, are we even reacting? It's yeah. fine. I'm with Wayne on this one. I'm not concerned about these OTAs. Lamar Jackson's not a rookie at this point anymore. I'm, he is that dude, if you're asking me, and I think he's going to be fine. I have no concern at this point. So uh, the next bit of news is on Saquon Barkley. He says his body feels good. He's trusting his knee heading into 2022. He's feeling a lot better. This feels like a you know familiar song and dance we've gone through. But Dwayne, this is the cheapest we've ever gotten Saquon. If we talk about test cases for like ADP rising through the summer, I feel like he's going to be a guy as people start to see him more and more that he'll get you know further up. I, I wanted to know you like your exposure exposure rate on on Saquon and kind of what you're feeling about where he's being drafted. Um, I'm getting it as high as I possibly can right now. Yeah. <laughs> I have no concerns. I don't worry too much about exposures until later, unless I'm playing in certain tournaments where you know like you're uh, going to be capped in a certain window. So maybe you think about it if you're in the puppy, but even then like you're going to draft enough puppy two or puppy three teams on underdog that you won't get Saquon later. So I'm taking as much Saquon as I can get. I mean, we're getting a 25 year old running back. That's a former elite, you know, player. Can he get all of his spring back? We don't know yet, but he's an every down back. So, and the big thing is PPR half point. We know he can be an absolute stud in that format, catching the balls out of the backfield. So I think Barkley, to your point, by the time we get to August, we'll be, you know, possibly as high as a early second round pick. You know, my guess is he'll settle in somewhere around the middle of the second because we'll have just enough people. They're like, oh, I'm not doing that again. I'm not doing that again. So you'll have some crowd that'll just, avoid him but i think it'll be a kind of a wide range in some drafts you might see him go as early as the late first like we're in another one he may slide to like you know the second half of the second round still but right now you can still get him in the early third over on underdog you're already starting to see a lot of redraft sharpen up though like over at ffpc i was in a draft last week where i want to say he went at two four um so i mean you're already seeing some of the sharper drafters jump on and i meant elbow earlier on stafford not shoulder i don't know why i said shoulder <laughs> but elbow injection sorry all good uh, Z pointing out Singletary was third in route runs under Dabo last year. Barkley with a 22% target rate last year in routes run saying it's a good marriage. Dabo and our Very guy good. Saquon. 
Moving on to Sammy Watkins, who's starting a new marriage with the Green Bay Packers. Head coach Matt LaFleur told reporters that Sammy Watkins is going to be a big part of our offense. In quotes, Austin, uh, we know we, you know, we loved the draft pick as Packers fans of Christian Watson. We hope that that can flourish. I guess we want to know if we're getting hyped on Sammy Watkins outside of just week one. Uh, can he make it? Oh, all- yeah, maybe we go to week two. <laughs> yes, we're going to go half a month. Yes, we are. Big Travi. Double that. Yeah. Double that week one. Take it into week two. I hope take so. it into the I, middle of September. Just, we threw about as far as I'm going to go. Yeah, we threw I, him in Dynasty. So I'll take, you him. know, yeah, we took I, I've been a Sammy Watkins fan longer than most have. And I have started him week one with his Kansas City Chief days. And I have dominated that week. Um I think he needs a lot of things to happen for him, but I think a lot of those things are available in Green Bay. I don't have enough of the psychological profile of Sammy Watkins to really weigh in on if I think he's going to be able to eat meat in this offense, but he is, we know the draft capital. We know he doesn't have that much tread on the tires. We've seen him hit that ceiling inconsistently, but he still has touched it even somewhat recently. Um, It's a nice flyer for me. It's something I'll get excited about, but I'm not going to bank on at all. Yeah, Dwayne, I wondered if you wanted to add anything to the Sammy Watkins thing, because I, I was thinking about it the other day, and it's like if there's if if everybody's healthy the full season, like, and everything's perfect, maybe Christian Watkins has the most up or Christian Watson has the most upside. But does Sammy Watkins maybe you know potential swing for the fences league winner style? Yeah, so a lot of times what will happen whenever we have like someone like Devonte Adams leave an offense, you know, we all because it's what we love to do. We want to immediately rush in and figure out, okay, who, who's going to come in and all of a sudden have like a 25, 26, 27% target share. But really the most likely answer is we're going to have a bunch of guys be like between 16 and 19, you know? Um, and that's where I see Watkins. But I do think like, especially in best ball, he could come through for you in certain weeks to your point. Like he is an elite athlete. He's got elite draft capital for a reason. Um, and I thought, you know, your way, you know, of breaking it down, like, um, you know, from Austin, from uh, the psychological profile, you're right. Like that's the missing ingredient. I think that we all don't understand with Sammy Watkins, but we know we've seen him be elite for stretches. So I have no doubt, right, that we'll see a few good games from Sammy Watkins and hopefully he can stay healthy and we see that throughout the year. But I think for where you get him for free at the end of a draft, like I know the easy thing to say is he could easily lead the Packers. That may mean a 19% target share. So I just wanted to kind of qualify. And that's really what Sammy Watkins has been for his career. He's never really been a 25% kind of guy. His targets per route run are always somewhere between like 17, 19%. He's had a 20%er. So he probably is what he is at this point. But getting targets from Aaron Rodgers, there is a different quality of target that you're getting versus what Sammy has typically seen, you know, in the past. Now, I did get that short stint with Patrick Mahomes, but you also had Travis Kelsey and you had Juju Smith, not Juju Smith Schuster, and Tyreek Hill. We'll talk about Juju later, but Tyreek Hill is soaking up a lot of it. Yeah, big time. <laughs> Just add a little bit into that point there. We know how heavily targeted Dwayne, uh, excuse me, Devontae Adams was with Aaron Rodgers last year, but that wasn't totally typical of Aaron Rodgers. Traditionally, he has distributed the ball. I remember notably, I don't even know how many years ago it was, he broke a record for having 10 completions to 10 different wide receivers in the same game. And I remember 
fading on like Randall Cobb, even when he was primed out, just because I'm like, he's going to distribute the ball a lot. And I think we'll see some more of that Rodgers coming back in. It's like when you guys mentioned the psychological profile, like who better to take on a psychologically weak wide receiver than Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I'm sure that'll go over well. Um, I'm not saying he's psychologically weak. I feel like we're on like Mindhunter or something right (laughs) (laughs) Bring back season three, by the way. Yes, I would be all in on that. We're going totally off the rails, but I love it. Uh, Najee Harris is the last bit of news here. We'll talk about the Steelers and Najee Harris are discussing reducing his role on certain downs. So I'll kind of open it up to you here, Dwayne, because I think the question for me is without a declining Ben Roethlisberger, will the Steelers get to the volume they got with Najee as a pass catcher? Um, Obviously maybe a rookie would help that or Mitch Trubisky, you know, he's mobile. I don't know if he'd throw to the running back. My question is because there are some people that wonder if Najee Harris was really all that good based on advanced metrics last year. And I want to know if we think there's going to be enough volume this year to kind of justify his ADP. Yeah, and I think some of the concerns with his advanced metrics are, are fine. They weren't terrible. Like the biggest thing he was lacking was really the explosive rush rate. So those are carries of 10 plus yards. He was only at 9%. The league average is 10.5%. Um, but we have other guys that are in that range, right? Like Leonard Fournette, James Conner. I mean, there's he, he profiles more as a projected volume guy, right? Not necessarily like this elite talent that can't be replaced, you know, in his offense because he's making everything happen on his own. All of that said, like you could take away, you know, 15, 20% of his snaps and it might help him. Like he had multiple games where he was in the 90%. He had a game, two games where he was at a hundred percent of the snaps. Um, so I think it's still fine. Like, you know, to be a, a good, you know, running back one, typically we want you on the field 65 to 70%, you know, of the snaps. That's really good. Like there's guys that do it on less than that. So, I mean, yeah, we would love to see the 80 to 90%, but I think there's a chance that keeps him fresher. I expect them to go under center a lot more. The pace will probably slow a little bit they're going to run less plays they're going to pass the ball less if they can as long as the defense holds up you know game scripts can often just smack you in the face though and make you forget all you want to do as a coach so with Harris I'm still fine you know I think he's a I don't take him as he has a wide range on him like I've seen him go I saw him go number one overall the other day which was kind of insane that's not normal you know but I mean he'll creep into the top three sometimes and then I'll see him fall to the early part of the second in some drafts but typically he'll be somewhere like between pick five and pick ten and I think you know as you start to get to the bottom of that range it's fine you know I'm not going to worry too much about it because I think he's a young player overall the volume should still be there and who else are they really going to give all this work to like mm. Benny Snell, Anthony McFarlane, my long lost cousin of somehow. Like, I don't know where I, I don't know where these other uh, I don't know where these touches are really going to go. Right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, that wraps up the news. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Help us out. Get one more subscriber on top of Dwayne, who's the one for today. You can join him yeah. as well. All right. Uh, speaking of Dwayne. You've got this great article out over on PFF.com. So, guys, that link is in the description. Make sure you check it out. We're identifying breakout wide receivers, and this is a how-to article to do so. And so without giving the whole article away, that's not going to be the point here. We want you all to read it. But, Dwayne, I wanted to say, you know, first of all, how do we define a breakout wide receiver and kind of what was, you know, why? Why do you you use that to define them? Well, I mean, I did a couple – I did a couple of things, um, you know, just going back and kind of researching the data and looking at, you know, the cut marks that we had kind of traditionally used and toyed around with some different things. But ultimately what I settled on is since like 2011, I just basically plotted out wide receiver one, wide receiver two, three, four, five, literally the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Right. And once I got to wide receiver 12, I made that the cut mark. Um, so 263 points, you know, uh, mm. is the cut mark for the wide receiver 12 since 2011. But 
what I want, I think that's, you know, important because like sometimes we just refer, Oh, has the player had a wide receiver one season? Well, sometimes, you know, how, you know, how it goes, goes, you have a, a season where a bunch of guys get hurt or, or for whatever reason, you know, some weird things play out and what would normally be a wide receiver two actually finishes as a wide receiver one for the season. So one, I wanted like these steady benchmarks based over the last 10 years or so where we could say, did they get above it or did they not? not let's not call him a wide receiver one because it was a weak season right for the bottom half of wide receiver you know ones that year um, and then the same thing if you have a really strong year where a guy would be a wide receiver two but typically over the last 10 years he really would have been a wide receiver one let's just call it that and then the second part of it really was just looking at um, I wanted to look at breakouts as being your first time to either be a wide receiver two or your first time to be a wide receiver one. So if you were a wide receiver two and then you became a wide receiver one, you could have two breakouts. And the reason I wanted to still call that a breakout is just because of the large disparity um, between what the top end of the wide receiver one range can look like versus the bottom end of a wide receiver two range. So for example, if you look at the top six receivers, they've averaged 330 points um, over, since 2011. If you look at the bottom six receivers in the wide receiver two range, right? So you're looking at, you know, wide receivers, 18, 19, 20, uh, 21, 22, 23, 24. Um, that actually comes out to 223. So there's this, there's a hundred point difference between the two. So if you take a leap like that, you know, that's still another breakout. So, I mean, it's not perfect, but I really wanted to have, you know, more standardized benchmarks versus just saying, well, it was this season or that season. And then I really wanted to give receivers a chance to take more than one big step, you know, in their career, because we love wide receiver two finishes. They're great. But really what we're looking at, we're, we're wanting that really high-end wide receiver season, right? And, and a lot of receivers only get one of those in their career. So that's mm-hmm. the reason that I kind of set it up this way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, totally. We want the we want the big the big you know the big guys. The big. I just want to say I love this so much, like on a personal way. I play fantasy because I've gone down bad directions in years past, where I have, in, in more novice days of my fantasy football, playing. It, it, I would I would look at wide receivers in similar ways that I would look at running backs, and I would overvalue opportunity, and I would say, oh, this guy's in a great opportunity to get a lot of work, and it just doesn't work out that way. And getting a wide, like, yeah, you have so many wide receivers. You can find a flex option. You can find someone in a good setup. But to consistently get yourself a good wide receiver, like, that's a lot more than just opportunity and matchup. Like, they have to really be good. And I see you shedding some great evidence and data points on showing where you can find that 100-point difference between a wide receiver two and a wide receiver one. So I just want to thank you for this work and excited to jump more into it personally helps me out appreciate it appreciate it man i'm the same way i i just learn from my mistakes (laughs) you know and honestly like we live in such an awesome community where we've got twitter and people are doing i'm i've got tiktok i'm not doing it yet i'm gonna i'll I'll get there i guess i'm a boomer but like there's so (laughs) many ways for us to share information like us doing these pods yeah um and so like you just constantly you know it's like iron sharpens iron you know Mm, you hear other people talking about something and you may not even take their exact take but you're like you know that's interesting i want to go look at that i want to go research that and what i love about our community is people are constantly taking something that someone else did and then they're building off of it right Mm. and then giving credit and everybody's sharing so it's just it's fun to be a part of that that's one of my favorite things about like our industry as 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 weird as our industry can be sometimes and negative and you know cynical as some people can be overall like it really at the end of the day i think it's a good community to be a part of and i love the fact how everybody comes together to make one another better no doubt i love that you said that there me and austin have been talking offline about how 
you know, fantasy football fosters curiosity. It kind of forces us to go through these thought experiments. And I just think that it's so great to be able to have that. And then, you know, as you said, get smarter, iron, iron sharpens iron here. Uh, one of the quotes from the, the article here is that 85% of wide, wide receiver one performances over the last 11 seasons came from second to eighth year wide receivers. And a similar distribution plays out for the wide receiver two finishes, 83% of those. On the other hand, a wide receiver three finish is more plausible in year one, and it appears more receivers can attain that level in years nine and 10. So I guess I, my question was, does this give you more confidence to potentially eliminate rookie wide receivers or ninth or 10th year wide receivers when you're drafting for your wide receiver one and wide receiver two slots on your roster? Or even if like in those late rounds, if you're swinging for upside. Yeah, so I think it depends on the rookie. You know, there are exceptions. So like I did some work last year for PFF in the preseason, just looking at, you know, wide receivers taken in the top 10. And they can buck these trends a lot of times. We saw Jamar Chase do it last year. We saw Jalen Waddle do it to a lesser extent. Um, and so it, some of it depends on that, right? But at the same time, um, most of the time where wide – now it is getting more aggressive, especially like depending on the format you're playing. If you, you know, you guys know how it is over an underdog, like the whole receiver queue will be empty by like round five because like everybody's yeah. going like zero RB. But – Typically, our rookie wide receivers, even though they are getting more expensive, they're actually getting priced right now in ADP. Typically, though, we still can get them as a wide receiver three. Um, you know, there are years where last year you had to draft Jamar Chase as a wide receiver two, but he was worth it. Jalen Waddle, though, you were still getting at a you were getting Jalen Waddle at a wide receiver four price. CD Lamb is rookie year. You were getting at a wide receiver three, wide receiver four price. AJ Brown, um, Justin Jefferson, you were getting for nothing, a wide receiver, nothing price their rookie mm -hmm. year. So there's still plenty of value to soak up with the rookies but i do think to your point um one thing it has really pointed out to me and we kind of know this like the career arcs kind of start to show up in the charts that if people want to go look at it um you know the older players get you, we definitely know that we do start to see a drop off so i i start to bake that into my projections really around like season eight it's also a combination of like how old are they but for example like i mean we've got a lot of guys this year going into wait uh you know year seven eight and nine we already talked about michael thomas going into year seven not not the worst case um because he's already been there he's already been a wide receiver one we're not looking for him to break out but then you know we've got mike evans going on into the later part of his career you got keenan allen going into the later part of his career so those guys i'm I'm shaving a little bit off because we know that the cliff could be coming. Mm. I know we're not talking about them today, but their underlying data points that I talk about for breakouts later are also on the decline. Yards per route run have been down two seasons in a row for both of those players. Targets per route have been targets per route run have also been down two years in a row for both those players. Now it's hard to fade them because they play in freaking awesome offenses and they have good quarterbacks, yeah. right? But just, I don't want to be overexposed. If I'm going to draft 10 teams and for, somehow I land in an, a draft position where it would make sense at ADP that I could have those players every time, I wouldn't do it, right? I would make sure that I'm diversifying off some um, and, and I basically like to grab players like that past ADP. That kind of becomes my rule that, okay, great. I'm going to draft enough that Gotta whenever I do draft those two players, it's going to be at value. And that's the way, like Evans is really getting steamed at this point. Like he's yeah. wide receiver eight off the board and I love him, but there are some underlying data points that scream problems and people. And, and I think what's steaming him great. He plays for a pass happy, happy offense. That's really good. Plays with Tom Brady. That's really good. But I think everybody's overestimating like Chris Godwin, yes, could be slow to start the season. He could even miss six games and be on the pup. But by the time you're in your money league, uh, in your money weeks of your league, 
like they're probably going to be playing with a full deck, right? Mm -hmm. So where is Mike Evans going to be in your most important weeks of your league? <laughs> Last year, he was winning leagues because Godwin was out. When Antonio Brown was out, his targets didn't even go up at all. They stayed the same. But when mm -hmm. Godwin left the lineup, um, he really spiked. And he had some huge games because Mike Evans is still a good player. But there are just some concerns um, you know, with him that make me not want to be overweight. So my question here comes from your you have a lot of added nuance and some underlying data points that I know that you consider. And so this factors some of those in with my question based on your top level data approach, wide receiver one and twos traditionally are coming from our, our wide receiver, their second and third years that are coming in, but they're still available in years four, five and six. Dwayne, for you personally, when you're drafting, are you looking for more of those high upside, maybe high excitement year two, year three wide receivers, or do you generally fade that hype and look more for those fourth year, fifth year possible breakouts where you can likely get them at a cheaper price, but you're still expecting their production to be just as high as some of those more hyped guys. Where do you I'm find just, yourself? Driving? I'm trying to roster all as many of them as I can, mm. <laughs> right? I just want, I want to increase my odds of if I draft six of these players, three of them have their wide receiver one breakout. Like if that happens, mission accomplished you know so adp and the other thing i have up over at pff people can go check out um and i've really tried this is my first full year with pff it's my first full year in the industry so i've really had more time to detail stuff out around my process and just refine it make it better and plus the the data that we have at pff like there i didn't even know what i didn't have yet because i hadn't had access mm. to all the data and so now i've had much more time to research it and i've still only like it's tip of the iceberg kind of stuff like there's still more see my dogs agree that like tip of the iceberg <laughs> with this but um and looking at it you know what what i was what was i saying my dogs like just totally threw me like my dog was talking to me but no all the data was, points that pff has yeah yeah so <laughs> all the data points are awesome but what i've done in the tier article where i was going with it is i've set things up for you where you can basically see here are the underlying things that really point to a player's talent here are the underlying things that and so for receiver First thing you want to know, can they generate targets? That That's the number one thing you need to know. It's the most important thing you need to know. Then the number two thing, can they generate targets like all over the field or just underneath? Because not all targets are equal, right? And you guys know this, air yards, Josh Hermsmeyer, that's really, that's where that all comes in. The deeper target is down the field, the more likely it is to have value. So if you can attack deep, and underneath and intermediate okay great like you're checking all those boxes the next thing is still talent what can i do with the ball once i get it in my hands am i good after the catch right can i can i do what jamar chase did against the kansas city chiefs catch you mm -hmm. know like an eight yard pass for a first down make the first guy miss and then accelerate and take away every angle on the field and be gone that like is like two that that's like big game breaking talent right and it shows yes. up in the data typically but the other part of the equation comes back to around you know the opportunity and the quality of the opportunity so what does my target competition look like you know that's really you know my you know part of the equation but then the other part is am i on a good team with a good quarterback right so if i get to play with joe burrow and you know i'm expected to win 10 games like that's a lot better than playing on a team that i may think is going to be pass heavy but is only projected to win five games because sam darnold's the quarterback so mm. i lay all of that out for you and like, so cart target competition is based on the number of teammates going in the top 36 receivers at ADP or top uh, 12 tight ends. Like, so it's not just me saying it, like there's some data I throw in there, but it's like, what does the market say? The market's telling us the market's usually pretty efficient. Like ADP is a lot more efficient than what a lot of people give it credit for. So 
if people want to see that, I wasn't trying to get us on a, uh, off on a tangent, but I lay it all out. And so if you happen to be someone that's just like, wow, I see DJ Moore super talented, but I don't care because Sam Darnold sucks. That's all there for you to see. And if you want to skip him in that tier, you can't. So it's all I, this breakdown is so good. And when you talked about arriving at pro football focus and them having all this data, the data you didn't even know you didn't know. It made me just think of the matrix. Like they, you get there, you sit down, they plug you in and it's just like <laughs> exactly. all there. And I'm, like. I'm, I'm, jealous. I'm going to be checking out that article for sure. And we're going to be clipping this breakdown that you just had out. No doubt too. That was super. Absolutely. Helpful. If we dive a little bit more into when the wide receiver ones break out, Dwayne, you said, as we'd expect a huge portion of year two finishes were breakout performances across the board with year three following closely behind. But interestingly, the percentage of players reaching wide receiver one status for the first time doesn't fall off as quickly as we might anticipate. So basically we see you point out that wide receiver finishes happen most in the second and third year. It doesn't stop there though. We can see it in four, five, and six. And and given those breakout wide receiver ones with decent hit rates, why do you think that is that we're still getting them later on? And I think was it is it because of player trades that we've seen more frequently or pass friendlier league or or, or something else? And so, yeah, and so here we're specifically talking about getting that true wide receiver one finish, right? So getting mm-hmm. past that, you know, bar- that threshold that we talked about earlier of 263 points. And what happens is you will actually have quite a few players like uh, DJ Moore is a great example right now. Like he's been really close to being a wide receiver one. Like he's had these wide receiver two finishes. He's just missed. So he's never technically been a wide receiver one. But on efficiency alone, right? He could have an anomaly kind of season up or down one that could make him a wide receiver three, one that could make him a wide receiver one. We've in fact seen this like, um, Amari Cooper, you know, is a really great example in his, in his breakout year where he finally did get the wide receiver one status. He had a career high in a dot. It went, it went back down the next year. It was just a fluky thing. So his yards per target were at a career high. Um, but his targets per route run, all those things didn't change. Yards per route run was just a little bit better, but a lot of it was just because for that, whatever reason that year, he got more air yards. You'll see other guys do it based on their yards after the catch, right? They'll have just a phenomenal yards after the catch season. It's enough to make them a wide receiver one breakout for that season. So, and we see this as quarterbacks too, right? With all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're pretty good, but they'll have a, we saw with Matt Ryan, decent quarterback back in the day, low end QB one, Kyle Shanahan comes in all of a sudden he's a QB three. Why not? Because he threw the ball more. It's because efficiency went insane. Mm -hmm. Like now he did have Julio Jones. They had, uh, you know, Tevin Coleman that year that they were using. So, I mean, they had a lot of different weapons, you know, they were spreading the ball around to, um, but I think John Brown might've even been, I can't remember who else was there that year, but anyway, it's, um, it's just a situation where efficiency is, you know, a guy's already been a wide receiver too on efficiency alone. Like he's going to eventually have a wide receiver one season. And that's really a lot of what happens because what I will say, so even though, so what you're speaking to, I think you guys tell me if I'm wrong. So wide receiver one, the, you know, percentage of guys that are first time being in a wide receiver one for year two is 78% mm-hmm. year three is 82% year four, 66%, year five in the league, 40%, year six, 60%. So the problem is though, the raw numbers are going down that whole time. So like, Mm -hmm. if you look at it, you know, in year, um, you know, two and year three, we have a lot, the the pool is much bigger. The pool shrinks the further you get away from year three. So even though it's 60%, it's like we have a smaller uh, pool and we have a smaller denominator. Um, So there's not as many raw like players. Now, some of it takes care of itself because as these players get, you know, age, if they don't really play well, I mean, 
they're out of the league or they lose a job anyway. So that's also part of it. Injury plays a role. Um, But there are some other things like sometimes players can change year six. You know, sometimes it can be a a team change, right? That Mm. can getting that new environment, you know, can give somebody a second chance, reinvigorate them. You know, if we want to go back to the Sammy Watkins example, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a psychological profile thing, right? (laughs) They come over and click with the right quarterback, right coach. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a lot of different factors to go into it. Um, but where the pool is the biggest is still in those early seasons. Yeah. Great numbers here connected to year in the NFL. Have you drawn any connection to their actual age related to their breakouts? Or are you specifically just looking at experience in the NFL? For this study, I looked at the experience. Um, but I mean, age age can matter as well. Like I've looked at it both ways. Um, I chose to do experience because I, as much as we love, like when we're looking at rookies coming in, we want them to be younger. Those things are all still true and they're still good. But at the end of the day, really what I wanted to tease out is like once a player's had a chance to get to the league and learn, right? Mm. Because until mm. then, it doesn't really matter to me what age. Once they're here and we've graded them as a rookie and that grade's on the books already. Right. Like, you know, we've already graded them. We think what they're going to be. But now they're playing in the NFL. And so Mm -hmm. from there, really, what I just wanted to tease out is like, what does experience do for a player or what does it not do for a player? I thought that that was and maybe I'm wrong. I took the approach of that way. But there are some really good studies out there that are similar, kind of like this, that look at it from the same way as age. And maybe next preseason, I'll do one on age too, like just to match it up with this one and see, like, do, do we really get anything different? I don't think we're going to see much difference, right? I mean, I'd be interested to see most of these guys are pretty close to the same age. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Most, I'd be interested to see maybe like the. I see. I, I agree wholeheartedly with your talking of they're in the NFL. These are their grades. This is where they're at. Possibly then with maybe the decline statistics related to age, like experience in the NFL compared to ages when the decline starts kicking in. I could see some really strong uh, data points coming to light in that. No, I think that's a good point too. Yeah. And we've seen that with, with running backs, um, you know, you can look at both things. You can look at age, but also we know that the touches like, so once a running back is at 1500 carries, like it really, like we, we start to see a decline in their rushing yards over expected, like, Mm. and it's, it's pretty, we see it pretty broadly. And if folks haven't seen that, you can get that for free over at PFF. Um, it was an article that one of our interns and he's brilliant. Uh, Tej Seth, T-E-J-S-E-T-H. He's not with us anymore. He moved on to bigger and better things. He'll probably be like running an NFL team one day, like while we're still talking about, while oh, you guys may not be, but I'll be talking about fantasy. He'll be running a team. Um, but he did an article just looking at that and like did a great job of breaking down like what workloads mean for running backs. Mm. And it's not behind the paywall either. That one's free. Nice. <clears throat> I love all the juicy stats we're getting into. I hope Whisper Nation's enjoying it as well, because this is just like really important stuff as we get into, you know, trying to figure out how these players are going to score us points in fantasy. So talking about some of those indicators, Dwayne, you state that the top indicators for predicting a breakout are previous fantasy football finishes, PFF receiving ga- grade and targets per route run. I think you also throw yards per route run in there. Can you talk about what yards per route run and targets per route run actually show us about a receiver? Yeah. So why I love all of those things is really because it's, it's kind of, it normalizes everything, right? We're looking for the quality of what's going on. Volume we know is a huge factor in fantasy football. No one's ever going to debate that, but, and we can easily tease out volume, but what I really wanted to be able to look at is, okay, what does the quality of play look like? And so, 
Um, for PFF, for those of you that don't know how a PFF receiving grade works, we'll just talk about receivers here. If a receiver goes out and just basically does their job, catches a five-yard pass, doesn't do anything to make somebody miss a tackle or anything extra, they get graded as a zero. Every play is graded on a scale of minus two to plus two. And then all of those get put together to ultimately, and they get normalized to give you a PFF receiving grade where you'll see a player is 87.5, right? Mm. It's all based on everything's getting scaled. And so Jamar Chase, I'll give you an example last that play we just talked about against the Chiefs. So he catches a pass for a first down. If you get a first down, you're at a plus 0.5 now on the PFF grading scale. Had that been a seven yard reception on third and 15, whenever the defense is playing soft coverage, you don't get a plus 0.5. Mm-hmm. That's why I love it. All of that context comes into play. Like they actually want to stop you from getting a first down. And now you still got a first down. The defense didn't just give it to you by playing top mm-hmm. coverage or something like that. So the first part is the 0.5 comes from getting the first down. Then he makes the first player miss. I think it was the safety. That's plus 0.5. He did something extra on his own. Then he created an angle, used acceleration, and outran everyone else on the football field. That's another plus 0.5. So that's a plus 1.5 play. And look, like over 90% of plays end up as a zero, right, for all the positions, right? It's right around that number. And so it's really around the most, you know, you get more plus 0.5 plays than ones and 1.5s and twos. Twos are really rare. You just don't see that many. So what I love about that is it's all about like the player having to, and it's about them doing their job. It's independent of what, you know, other people on the field are doing. Is the receiver doing their job? Is independent the of the system their job? Yeah. yeah. So, that, that's why I like that. And then targets per route run and yards per route run are very similar, but they're just easier for people to understand um, because like they can quickly understand the math and the calculus of it versus with PFF and the way grades work. We don't, sometimes people, it's tough to like explain all I just gave you. I tried to make it simple by giving an example. I think when you do that, it's pretty easy. Sometimes people get kind of twisted with PFF grades. And here's the other thing, like you can't just go correlate PFF grades to fantasy points. And that drives people crazy. Well, why? You could you could have a really high PFF receiving grade, but if you only played like 30% of your team's snaps, of course you didn't score fantasy points, right? So it's more about does that correlate to fantasy points per snap? Like, so if you got a high PFF receiving grade and you've got a high PFF points per snap or these other metrics that I'm talking about, I love them because they equalize the playing field. So for example, a great example is Kadarius Tony. Like without targets per route run and yards per route run, we might not really know how good Kadarius Tony is. A lot of different factors kept him off the field, some of them injuries, but the beauty of these stats is they equalize that for everyone. We're only counting it for the time you're on the field. I do use minimum thresholds. You have to at least run 200 routes to be included in the data set. That's where it starts to stabilize. And so with Tony last year, like he blew it away in targets per route run and yards per route run. And because of that data, we we can look at that and say, okay, great. And his PFF receiving grade was also really good as a rookie, meaning if he can expand his role, this is a player, like if he can be on the field, I would expect him to be able to demand targets, right? And the Giants mm. offense. So that's the beauty of these kind of stats. And that's what differentiates them from just target share, right? A, a target share is great. And a target share is a, if you really, if you add routes run plus targets per route run, it gives you target share. Those are the two pieces. Are you on the field? Are you good enough? That's going to drive your target share. So it all still comes back to target share, but it's just an easier way to quickly normalize without having to go back and take games out, take certain things out. It's just basically saying when you were on the field, what were you able to do? 
These are such rich stats, and I am so grateful that Pro Football Focus exists because of the meat it's able to provide, and it hasn't really been a tool available to us, I think, as long as we all expect. We see PFF stats up on NFL games, you know, when it's Monday Night Football being brought up, and it's, I also remember when Andy Isabella came out of college, and it was like, this is the highest drafted, or this is the highest graded wide receiver coming in at this position in PFF's history, and it was like a five-year history. So I'm just like so excited about what you guys are bringing, and Listening to you break down some of these deeper analytical uh, tools makes me want to just have a whole hour with you uh, <laughs> to break down even more. Like I'm seriously nerding out like my, my, I'm about to pop right here. But moving on, I wanted to know if there were some stats you see the fantasy football community bringing into the conversation often that are really more of a distraction than they are helpful. What's a stat you see people bringing up that doesn't really add a ton of value to your analysis, but it still is brought up time and time again. Yeah, I mean, like, so for running backs, a lot of people know yards per carry, but people, we've already been through that. I think the biggest one um, is honestly something you already hit on earlier, um, and it was really just saying that, look, um, opportunity is just part of this. And so what I'll say is quality of opportunity matters. You want a good quarterback. You want to be on a good team. But I think the thing that often gets the most overrated, and not that it doesn't matter at all, but I think we just – we and I've done it in the past. We took we we put too much value on it. Is um, target competition like so? I'd rather have you know a player that doesn't have all the target competition playing with a great quarterback and an offense that passes the ball. There's just not many of those. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like I care less. So Devonte Adams is a really good example. Do I think Devonte Adams is going to be a 28 to 30 percent target share player now um, with Derek Carr? Probably not. But do I think he's going to drop to 22 percent? No, I don't. Does that mean that Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller can also probably get 20%, 22% of the targets? No, they all could because you know why? They're all really good. There's not that many offenses that have that have those three really good players. And I know what a lot of people want to point to. Well, we've only seen this many years whenever we've seen you know an offense have this many players. Well, if you go back and look at those offenses, it's typically because those are the ones that actually had three really good players. Right. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, does it does it cap them in some way, shape, or form? Like you hear this all the time with T. Higgins. People, uh, Jamar Chase is on the team, can't draft T. Higgins. Mm. Why? Why? Like, mm. this is an offense that, like, yeah, we need them to throw the ball more, but they have the young quarterback. We saw them do it at the end of last season. I care more about that. Are they just willing to throw the ball enough? I'm less worried about, you know, Jamar Chase boosting to a 28% target share and that meaning that T. Higgins can't get to 20. That's just not the truth. Like, T. Higgins, could, T. Higgins can still be uh, – he could still take take a step forward and be a 24 25% target share guy, and Tyler Boyd could be an 18%er. Like, I mean, that's all stuff that can still happen. It all really comes down to the talent on the team. Does it matter? Yeah, a little bit because it can cap you. It can cap a player, right, where you can't get that 32% target share season if you've got three really good guys like that. But I'm just not a believer in, oh, I'm just going to fade Hunter Renfro now because, you know, Devontae Adams is there. Or, oh, I, I, I won't touch Devontae Adams now because, you know, he's playing with Darren Waller. I just don't buy that. All right. I love that we've, we've broken down kind of the numbers behind it, but I think Whisper Nation is like, hey, Tell me about some players here. I want to, you know, I want to be lazy and <laughs> not read the article. Yeah, let me let me put this to work here. Uh, but please read the article. The link is in the description as well. Dwayne, when we looked at the second year guys, just who pops out as your is your favorite second year fantasy football target for breakout this year? Yeah, so for me, and this one's kind of fun because it's just such a lightning rod like in the community. But for me, it's a Monroe St. Brown. Um, you know, I yes. love Elijah Moore as well. I love Elijah Moore as well. 
I like Rashad Bateman, but Amon Ross St. Brown, like really just when you look at what he did, you know, in his rookie season, um, and here again, this comes back to, so what's the argument like on Amon Ross St. Brown is that, well, man, he didn't have all those 30% target share games until, you know, TJ Hawkinson went down, right. And Deandre Swift was out of the lineup, but at the end of the day, you know how good you have to be to demand 30% target shares repeatedly over and over and over. You have to be a really good, you know, football player, like at the end of the day. And so that's what I'm buying into with a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown. And people forget, like he was only 21.9 coming out as a rookie, you know, Jamar Chase was 21.6 years old in year one. This was not an old player. Um, he, he did slip to the fourth round and these things happen sometimes, but he posted a PFF receiving grade that was worthy. He, well, he had a wide receiver two season with 223 points, but he also backed it up with a wide receiver two worthy PFF receiving grade of an 80. Um, and so, I mean, those are things that I look for. And so with me and Monroe St. Brown, and a lot of it does come back to ADP as well. And, and, now let's just bake in a couple of extra things. Like we still have questions with Zach Wilson, right? Zach Wilson, can he can he boost Elijah Moore, right, to be at the same level? Because I like Elijah Moore as well. Um, he had a 73.8 wide receiver uh, grade as a rookie, which was wide receiver three threshold. He had a 24% targets per route run, which is wide receiver two worthy. He also had a wide receiver three yards per route run of 1.75. So Elijah Moore checks a lot of similar boxes, not quite as good as Amon Ross St. Brown, because the easiest way to find future fantasy producers is they've actually already produced in fantasy, right? Then you look at these advanced stats to, to help back it up. So with St. Brown, like it's just a player that I know. Jared Goff, do we love Jared Goff? No, but we've seen him support multiple multiple uh, fantasy weapons before. We haven't seen that, you know, from Zach Wilson. So I do start to pull the other pieces in, but they're more tiebreakers. But the profiles of Amon Ross St. Brown looks good. Devonta Smith checks all the boxes we want. Elijah Moore from, again, just as far as checking their talent. Like they've already shown they can demand targets. They've shown in data points that are in, individual away from just the volume that these guys are worthy of more. Now, will they get it or not? Like some of the other factors will play, but they're all they're all eligible. So Amon Ra is my favorite. And I like the ADP on him as well. Cause now Bateman's ADP has just kind of gone like it's 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 like it's going through the roof. Like yeah. you know, and Bateman honestly graded out the lowest of all these guys. Like his PFF receiver grade, he got like just above the threshold I want for a rookie, but ultimately it was a wide receiver six <laughs> PFF uh, receiver grade, his targets per route run wide receiver six yards per route run wide receiver six. He didn't touch any of the other thresholds, but he is a former first rounder. We've seen guys that at least get to that 65 grade, be a former first rounder and get, if they get to that 65 grade, we've seen nine out of 10 former first rounders eventually post a top 24 finish. So I still feel good about Bateman, but wow, like him leapfrogging all these other guys in ADP just because Marquise Brown is gone. Like means I probably, I want to, I'll get exposure to him. I just probably won't be able to get as much. When that's that was a perfect setup, Dwayne. You say, "Oh, target competition actually doesn't matter as much as we think it does." Let me bring up some guys that are studs with some target competition that are scaring people off this year. I think that's really important to to di uh, dissect right there. Let's jump into the third year guys. There seems to be like this big three for the third year guys getting steamed up right now. C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman uh, seem to be that kind of big three to me, at least. I wonder if you'd rank them for us. Maybe speak to who has the biggest ceiling of those three. Yeah, it's Lamb. Um, Higgins is right behind him, and then it's Pittman. But I love mm -hmm. all three. So over in my ranks on PFF right now, I've got C.D. Lamb ranked as my wide receiver six. I've got T. Higgins as my wide receiver nine. Uh, sorry, I've got Lamb as my wide receiver uh, 
four. I've got T Higgins as my wide receiver nine. So this is for 2021, 20, uh, not just dynasty. And then I've got Michael Pittman as my wide receiver 11. So I think that alone like shows how much I love them. If you go check out my tiers, you'll see why. Like everything about their talent profile, especially CD Lamb. Um, I tweeted about it the other day. I just said, look, CD Lamb living in a sea of blue. I color, I cover, I color code everything like blue and red. And so like everything is blue across the board. Basically, like he's right there behind Jamar Chase with everything that he's doing. He just hasn't quite hit it yet. And here's the thing with Lamb. Like he's really been around a 75% uh, routes per drop back kind of player because the Cowboys have had so many guys they could rotate. If Lamb doesn't take a step forward in his targets per route run, which he's already at a 22%, even if he just sees 85 to 95% of the routes for the Cowboys, which I would argue it's going to probably be impossible for him to not see 90 to 95%. On that alone, like he's already going to be a higher end wide receiver. Two. He's already been a wide receiver too. So now he's going to be on the field more. So even if he doesn't take a step forward, that's what I love about Lamb. Like his floor is probably a low end wide receiver one. And most people don't realize that they're saying, well, I got to see it from Lamb first. I don't think most people are accounting for a floor of a low end wide receiver one, mm -hmm. but his ceiling is, wide receiver one overall because he's checking every single box that we want to see across talent opportunity quarterback all of it grades out great for cd lamb love this one moving over here into year four dwayne in the article you say that only two wide receivers since 2011 have broke out in year four as a wide receiver one while never finishing as a wide receiver one in a prior season looking at this year's slate of fourth year wide receivers i see two really interesting names i'd love your take on those are Scary Terry McLaurin and A.J. Brown, both dealing with some impactful new variables. Carson Wentz, quarterbacking for McLaurin. A.J. Brown now in the Philadelphia uniform. What are you looking at with those two wide receivers? Yeah, man, A.J. Brown, it, he's a beast. Like, <laughs> I mean, he pops in ways like in this stuff that it's pretty rare. Like, it's it's rare, rare how well he he, he does. So look, looking at A.J. Brown, like look, just looking at his career so far, obviously he was already a wide receiver too as a rookie. He scored 217 fantasy points. And if you look at him, though, his PFF receiving grade that season was an 83, which is really good. That was wide receiver two worthy. Um, but his yards per route run was already a 2.67, which was a wide receiver one. Now, Hayden Winks has done some really good work at looking at whenever you play more out of heavy sets because there's less receivers in the route. So if you've got a fullback, they don't catch many passes. If your tight end's not good, they don't catch many passes. So yards per route run can get a little inflated by playing in a type of offense like the Titans, but it's still such high-end numbers from Brown. Like, it's absurd, and it's not just that. In year two, he had a 90.1 PFF receiving grade as a wide receiver two and a wide receiver one yards per route run. And then in year three, even though he was a wide receiver three because he was only out there for 58% of the passing plays, and this is why I love these data points because they don't lead you astray, 86.8 receiver grade for PFF. That's a wide receiver one. Targets per route run 29 freaking percent that's a wide receiver one and his yards per route run 2.49 that is also a wide receiver one so basically everything about aj brown screams i am an elite badass wide receiver one it just hasn't happened yet do we wish out god i would give anything for aj brown to have landed with the chiefs you know or one of these other teams he didn't so a lot of the same challenges that he had um with tennessee are obviously going to still be in his way you know it's a it's a team that could try to remain run heavy i will say you know philly is not as grounded in being a run heavy team as what mm. mike vrabel right is with tennessee i think there's sure. still a chance we see you know the eagles warm up throw the ball a little more i think they're gonna still use the run because it helps set you know hurts up but man, like you just can't count AJ Brown out. Like eventually, like 
in his these numbers are so good like every receiver that's had these kind of data points eventually had a monster blow up wide receiver one season yeah, I, I just you you've talked recently on a couple of pods, Dwayne, about like just defaulting to talent. And I think A.J. Brown is like the pure case test case for that, like defaulting to talent because he's just you can see it like it's he does. He passes the eye test. He is the dude. And Ron in the chat here, a big Eagles fan is, is saying, hey, preach. Uh, he loves it as well. Um, Dwayne, I know that uh, we kept you a little bit longer than we wanted. Austin just had a couple uh, grab bags, you know, philosophy questions, and then we'll get you on the road here. Yeah, yeah you I, more players if you guys want. Like, like we're we're good. I can I can go a few more minutes. It's up to you. Well, oh, I I did want to well, actually really quickly. Then, if we're going to ask a couple more players, <laughs> sixth year wide receivers jumping to the end of the list here. Kenny Galladay was a name that popped out. He's a obviously gets talked about for a lot of a lot of different reasons last year versus what he was able to do in Detroit, the injury, a lot of different things circulating. But he's a sixth year wide receiver. What do you say about Kenny G? Yeah, I mean, looking at Galladay, like he he hasn't done like some of the elite things that I just talked about with with Brown, but Here's what I like about Galladay. Um, I mean, the big discount is really just becoming is coming because he got hurt, right? In year four, he got hurt. He was hardly ever able to play last year. And, and so in year four, he's only out there 21% of the routes for his team with the Lions. Then last year, he gets traded to the Giants, misses preseason time um, because of an injury, then gets injured, you know, just never was able to stay healthy, only out there 63% of the routes. But whenever you look at Galladay in that year before with the Lions, even though it was a smaller sample, 2.47 yards per route run, that's a wide receiver one. Uh, targets per route run, 23%, that's a wide receiver two. 79.8 PFF receiving grade, that is also a wide receiver two. So um, I still feel at this point, like his ADP is just like, he's free. You know, you can get him in like round 12 or 13, you know, of drafts, even in drafts where receivers go really fast. So that's the beauty of Galladay. Like, you know, the, his style, stylistically, the way he plays, you know, sometimes those guys can take a little bit more of a beating. Um, but with Galladay, I think the the ADP still adds up. Mm. And, you know, we like, I like Kadarius Tony, but there's tons of questions around him, right? We just, mm. you know, Tony just can't seem to stay out of his own way at times. <laughs> and so there's a, there's a lot of targets just basically up in the air, uh, with the Giants, and Galladay has shown in the past that he can demand the targets. So here is my grab bag question. I was listening to your podcast with Ian Harditz. It was a three-person best ball draft. Uh, you, Ian Harditz, and one other gentleman there, and it was really insightful. You mentioned liking drafting in the middle. You felt that it gives you the most value that can slip your way. I've felt this way similarly, but oftentimes we don't get to draft in the middle. Sometimes we got to draft at the ends. For me personally, if I'm drafting at the ends, one of the little philosophies I've coined is I like to grab the guy who fell the farthest, who has the most value, and then I end up reaching to take the guy that I really like that I know is not going to be there in 23 picks. Always trying to get it better, though. What are your philosophies for drafting at one of the ends, either the start or the backside of a draft? Yeah, so I think for those first two picks, it's pretty much, you know, what you just said or just taking, you know, the value that has fallen or like so for the, every year is a little different. So and it depends on the format you're playing in. So you really want to look at, you know, um, ADP and you want to kind of map out multiple steps ahead. If I go wide receiver, wide receiver, 
and I feel I need a back, is there going to be one that I really like at round three or four? Like that's, it, it's kind of like a process. Like, you know, you're, you've got your, your flow going and the answer to that is yes or no. <laughs> right. And if the answer is, Oh, there's somebody you're still fine having as your RB one. If you think you need an RB one, see some people want to pass again, but even then like you would still go, you're going through the process and what you need to look at is, are there a pool of players that are typically mm-hmm. there? You can't make it where it's like, well, Every 10th draft, like whoever, Brees Hall makes it, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so you need to know that, look, 80% of the time, either Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, or whatever, name two other players that you really like are available, you know, at those picks. And if you're comfortable with them, fine, go wide receiver, wide receiver. Otherwise, I'm taking a running back with one of those two picks mm. because the biggest thing being on the turn, you guys know how it goes, um, you know, the position runs happen right in front of you almost always. You never get to <laughs> yep. be a part of them. You are the dude left yep. out or the gal <laughs> left out, like not getting to, you know, you're just like, feel like you're stuck at the kid's table at like Thanksgiving. You know, you can't go sit with all the adults. They're getting to have all the fun. They're having the drinks. And, you know, you're set over there with like your cousin Lenny or whatever, you know, and it's yeah. just terror. So <laughs> Lenny. I, I map out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I map out those kind of things. And I look for where those buckets are. And again, it is different, whether you're underdog half point PPR and the way they draft there versus FFP, FFPC versus your home league. They're all a little bit different. So yeah. I always like to think multiple steps ahead. And that's how I, I map out. Am I willing to go receiver, receiver here? Am I willing to go maybe receiver, 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 you know, even, mm. even to that extent, but like this year, early on, it was fine. You could go receiver, receiver, and you could still come back like early on, um, you could still get like Saquon with some time even, even slide down there. Like a month ago, um, Aaron Jones was sliding down there. Now you can for sure get Brees Hall. You can sure get, you know, Travis Etienne, but it's a matter of how do you feel about those players? Mm-hmm. And then that helps answer the question. And I'm doing that basically all through the draft. Cause once you get like four or five rounds, you can get a feel for how it's going. And you're trying to think multiple steps ahead. That's where tiers are really handy. I start counting like, okay, here's this, this is what ADP says. I think there's still going to be a chance that one of these five guys is going to be there. And the bigger the the bigger the chance is that I can get something else back that I want, the more likely I am to like really, you know, roll the dice on something. I do like from the turns pressing the issue and trying to start mm. runs. You know, that way mm-hmm. if you can get everybody else on a run and by the time it comes back to you and then there's a new run starting, maybe you still get to participate, right? Before that one's over. So I think there is some strategy involved. I don't know that it works that good on underdog because it's 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. And people, they're fine. They'll just take ADP. They'll just take the top of the queue. Whereas if you're in a minute and a half or a two minute pick, I see people much more likely to overthink it themselves and make a bad pick than just Mm. let the queue pick the top player. Man, I could talk for two hours about like your draft strategy here. That was, I mean, you've, you put a lot of meat on everything here, but I was actually thinking earlier today at the day job, I was like, man, if you could have all the multiple scenarios out in your head, how much of a better drafter you'd be. It reminds me of those old school, like mystery books. If this happened, like, if you want this to happen, turn to this page, you know, like that's, that's exactly how you were, it. Yes. Yeah. You Choose were, your own adventure. Yeah, exactly. You were like describing the different scenarios, all the butterfly effects that could happen from that. And I think that's, brilliantly laid out and then starting the runs was another one that you just said that really is i'm gonna be just trying making a book of all the different possible scenarios they feel so good when you start a run too it's oh, like oh, yeah. it's so satisfying it's yeah. probably it's it's the antithesis of that other feeling you talked about being at the kids table with cousin lenny you know it's definitely and it also tells you when to reach yeah sometimes yes. you need to reach sometimes yes. you have to throw adp out the window so i was in a draft uh two weeks ago and it was FFPC, 
So it was one quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, one tight end, two flex, tight end premium. So you can flex tight end. Tight ends go fast over here, right? Not best ball. This is redraft. And we got to round eight, and I was looking at my team, and, man, I really I needed a tight end. I didn't have a tight end yet, and usually I will have one in that format by then because it's one and a half points per reception, and you can really get left out quick. But I looked at the board. I'm lower on Dawson Knox than consensus. I looked every other owner in the draft except for one had a tight end already, and one one guy already had two tight ends. And so I was like, all right. And I looked at my queue and I was like, Dawson Knox is still there and I don't want him. One of these guys is going to take Dawson Knox or one of these players is going to take Dawson Knox. And I'm just going to, I'm going to have my choice of Irv Smith or Albert Okwabunum when it comes back. Two players that I really love. And that's exactly the way it ended up playing out. It's not always perfect. Somebody could have sniped me and taken their second tight end because you could flex it there. But just looking at their rosters, I was like, man, they're going to, it was in a spot in the draft. Like that was in the eighth, eighth round coming back this way. And so I actually skipped it again in the ninth and let it go as uh, well. And coming back in the 10th and the 11th, I got Okwabunum and Irv Smith. But it was just by looking at everybody else's rosters, looking at my tiers, taking that brief second to just kind of plot it all out real quick, like in your head. And that's why I like 90-second clocks instead of 30 seconds. Like It just gives you enough little bit of – like sometimes on underdog, like it's just trying to keep up. you know. And I love underdog. It's awesome. And I, I, I'll draft it from my – it's the only league I'll draft from my phone laying in bed, right? You know, mm-hmm. And I've gotten to where I can do it okay. But I like having that little bit of extra time because I can really look at the board, look at what other people have, and then I can let that play out. So what that allowed me to do was I reached on Chase Claypool by two rounds because I felt the receivers and, and running backs were all about to go. And once it started, I felt everyone would do it. And so it was kind of thinking multiple steps. If I take the receiver now, maybe I help start the run. And I also can avoid being complete left out because I needed a wide receiver five at the time. And then that the the double whammy would be like okay knowing Knox is there if that's the only tight end to go I could still potentially get both of mine because I was drafting in the two hole and the guy behind me already had two so I knew I could I he wasn't probably going to take one if I could get down to me and get Irv Smith and let Alberto go by he probably wasn't going to take him either and so I would be able to get both draft day diaries from Dwayne McFarlane we love it man we love all the knowledge you've given us here uh tell the people where they can get some more of of that awesome work you've been putting out man yeah so you guys can find me over at PFF I just released my top 150 this week I've got all the tier articles up I'll be updating those um, over the next week or two Um, most of them have been updated in the last couple of weeks but just based on some of the more recent news just really thinking through them you know I'll be tweaking those but they've got all the data that we've talked about for the running backs receivers tight ends it's got the talent you know the ability what they can do after they get the ball their team situation all that stuff is all laid out so like if you don't necessarily like my tiers um, I break each tier down into like three or four more tiers, mini tiers. And then that way you're kind of like, well, it's in Dwayne's tier two, but I really, I don't want anything to do with, you know, this tier of um, like one, like the big one this year is DJ Moore, Deontay Johnson and DK Metcalf. Cause of all of them, like they're on teams that aren't expected to win, like, you know, six or seven games, they have bad quarterbacks. We know the talent's great, but you may just think, you know what? I'm out. So fine. Like you can reach down to the next tier right behind them. I've got Cortland Sutton that's sitting there, right? A little bit later breakout candidate, but has the quarterback. And Russ Wilson also has a later ADP than those guys. So I bake ADP into the model as well. So you can find all of that over at PFF. Uh, you can also check me out at Dwayne McFarland. It's D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D on Twitter. And then I also am with Ian pretty much every day of the week over on the PFF podcast. I have one more. 
I also have a podcast that I do with my buddy, Brian Drake, that we started like five years ago, like two people listened to us in a basement somewhere. It was probably us. We were probably in basements listening to ourselves, Um, but it's called the Fantasy Football Hustle. And so I do one or two of those a week, and we've been doing a lot of drafts lately. So that whole FFPC draft I talked about, that high stakes draft, we broadcasted that whole thing. You guys can go check it out over there, and then we've done some underdog recently too. Check it out, Whisper Nation. Do it, do it. Uh, we love it. Thanks so much, Dwayne. So for Dwayne, for Austin, I'm Big Travi. We're the Fantasy Whispers, and we are out of here. Peace. Right here. Hey, you like mock drafting? So do we. Check out one of our previous mocks in the videos here, and like and subscribe to catch next week's mock draft coming your way.